0: Good morning. Oh, man. Um, Happy spring break uh, to everyone. We dialed the weather up just for you. Um, listen, my name is Kondo, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at uh, Mission Point. And uh, Matt already mentioned this, but let me say it again. If you're a guest with us, a special welcome to you. We are so glad, and don't take lightly the fact that you chose of uh, the variety of things you could have been doing this morning to come and spend some time with us. We trust the Lord had his hand in that, and uh, we're thankful to be uh, together. If you're a part of the Mission Point community church family and you call this home, then Welcome home. I mean, so good uh, to be uh, with you this morning as well. And, you know, I want to say something that I don't say often enough. Um, To those of you who give of yourselves and you serve as volunteers, in fact, some of you are sitting in this service because you woke up extra early to be ready to serve in the last service, um, and now you're here. And I know we just don't say thank you enough. Um, but for those of you who helped park cars and those of you who helped greet people as they came in and you helped people find their seats and, and you're passing baskets even now, you helped set up uh, for communion. Some of you are still breathing from serving our kids the last hour. Um, we cannot say thank you enough. You are our VIPs. This church would not be able um, to grow without your incredible sacrifice of time and generosity. So, Thank you to those of you who give and those of you who uh volunteer truly truly grateful for you um We are starting a uh, a new series this week that we are very very creatively calling psalms and um uh we want to take a few weeks to look at a few of the most well known psalms um of the Bible. Now, let's just do some quick fast facts before uh, we move into our text for this morning. Psalms is just a fancy way of saying songs. Songs. And so, what we're actually looking at is a collection of 150 songs. It's a 150-song Album is what this is, and this is a a collaborative effort um, of a minimum of six different composers uh, spanning a a, a time of about 1,500 years or so. Obviously, ultimately directed and produced and mastered uh, by the ultimate conductor, God himself, before finally getting into our Hands So listen, let me just say this. Even if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ and you don't necessarily even believe the Bible, I would still invite you to lean in and to dial into this series as we look at um, the Psalms together. Because listen, if it took 1500 years to compose an album... When it drops, I think it should be considered an instant classic, and at a bare minimum, you should give it a world. Just out of curiosity, for this album, this composition that has spanned generations in composition, and has lived and been sung for over 25 centuries, it's worth a listen. Um, this morning, we're actually going to start at the beginning. We're going to start um, with Psalm Chapter One, and um, even though Psalm Chapter One isn't explicitly, um, you know, given to any particular author, most people uh, presume that David wrote Psalm chapter 1. And David wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms. Not all of them, as many people um, often think, but 73 is a big chunk. That's a huge um, royalty check nonetheless. Um, So if you have a copy of the Bible, meet me in Psalm chapter 1. And um, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, some fine gentlemen will be coming up the aisles to hand you one. If you need one, just slip your arm up, let them know you need one. If you don't own one, please, Please hang on to this as our gift to you. But Psalm um, 1, it's in the middle of the Bible. Thankfully, it is the biggest book, um, the longest book in the Bible, which makes it a little bit easier to find. Which, by the way, it, it, it houses the, the longest chapter in the Bible as well as the sh- shortest chapter. Did I say it's worth a whirl even if you don't buy into uh, the veracity of the scriptures as inspired by God. Psalm chapter 1. And um, since the Psalms are, are songs, uh, you know, I thought it would kind of be cruel to to, to to play the first song and then, you know, start and stop and, and break it down and analyze it without at least giving it one full listen through. So we're going to read um, all six verses of the first Psalm to just get a sense of this tune, to get a sense of this song, get a sense of, of some of what it says, and then we'll come back and look at segments of it. So, Psalm chapter 1. Um, here's what it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person— it is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So, uh, this song, Psalm 1, is describing two different kinds of people who are on two different paths heading to two different places. Um, One person is on a path called blessed, and they're heading to a place called happy. Um, They get to experience prosperity. The other person is on a path called cursed, and they're they're heading in the direction where they're experiencing instability and are ultimately going to end up in the place of misery. Um, This song not only describes those two people and those two paths, but it also helps us to determine which kind of person I am and which path I happen to be on. And so when the album starts and the beat drops, the chord is struck or the note is sung, whatever, um, the author immediately starts by describing this path called blessed, blessed. Um, In fact, of all the Different lyrics he could have chosen to open this instant classic. He chooses this word blessed. And I'm guessing the first readers who read or listened to this particular album, you know, round of applause. Because the word blessed would have stirred in them a sense of anticipation um, this word blessed is uh, a very common word in the Old Testament uh, that ultimately describes the happiest of happiness. Um, and uh, it's this deep residing inner sense of well-being that allows a person to say, I am happy. Like everything is good. Um, It describes what I like to think of as primary um, happiness. Because listen, no offense to you, uh, but the reality is what most of us chase and what most of us experience qualifies as secondary happiness. It's a happiness that depends on certain things happening for me to feel happy. It's very vulnerable. It's very susceptible to being taken at any time so the clock strikes four o'clock and you're like happy you know and then the clock strikes seven and happy hour is over so you're not as happy anymore it's a very susceptible very vulnerable happiness you got a raise happy and then you realize that you have an increase in responsibilities not not so happy oh she noticed my outfit happy oh she noticed it because she hates skinny jeans not so happy it's susceptible to secondary happiness dependent on other things. It's like, oh my goodness, our kid is body trained, happy, happy, happy. How on earth did they get pee on the ceiling not as happy? Very vulnerable, very, very. Susceptible, but when this album opens and the first lyric is sung, he's describing a path uh, called blessed, in which the person traveling it is experiencing primary happiness, a stubborn version of happiness that's not subject to what happens. Um, it's not dependent or derailed on what happens to it, not shifting with seasons and economy and things of that sort. He's describing this happiest of happinesses. And you can imagine that the readers or the listeners would be really, really um, drawn in by that because what he's ultimately doing is inviting us into That place and onto that path where we don't have to scrounge or settle for some secondary, susceptible version of happiness that shifts and is easily taken. Um, Now, if if the happiness and that kind of happiness is, is something you're not into, you know, or not interested in, then you don't have to keep listening, except, of course, for the fact that it's a classic album. But if you happen to have any hint in your soul that says, I want happy uh, i want that inner sense uh, of it's all good then we'll keep listening um and to bolster this idea of blessed to make it even fuller the author says you don't just enjoy happiness on this path but you experience prosperity That's a a good word, and trust me, you want to be um, in on that. And to describe this idea of prosperity on this path um, called blessed, he borrows the imagery of a tree. Uh, Look at verse 3. He says that person on this path, this experiencing, enjoying happiness person, he's like a tree. She's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So he describes this this experience of prosperity. Um, It's a person who is planted, is rooted into the very source of life. So the stuff of life is surging to every area of their life, every limb, every branch, every aspect of their life is affected by the very life that is pouring in by virtue of being planted by this stream. It's a really um, beautiful picture, very fruitful. Regardless of what the seasons do, the leaves stay green. People can't figure it out. They continue to be patient even when the boss is pushy. They continue to be steady even when the kids are going crazy. They continue to be generous even when the economy is shaking and people can't figure out how do you stay so steady? How do you stay so green? Well, on this path, we get planted in these laces connected to Life. People want to be around people like this who are experiencing prosperity because they kind of have, the, have that, you know, Elsa effect. Whatever they touch, it grows, it thrives, it gets better. This is a kind of person who ends up providing shelter by virtue of the leaves that never die or fall off for the people who are experiencing shame. And all of a sudden you don't understand why you want to be at that person's house all the time. And something about the craziness and the drama of this world feels like it's stayed just for a moment. And heaven touched down when I'm at the dinner table with them. Because this prosperity thing is not just something they experience. It's something they export. The people around them gets to benefit from it. You get to perch on their branch they 're just really, really fun people to be around. so just I mean, ask the person next to you can i can I perch on, on your branch okay don 't ask that that 'll be really, really weird, but this person is incredibly influential, like Joseph. Any some of you are actually asking don 't do that um, <laughs> it 's very, very influential, kind of like Joseph we looked at a number of weeks. The bottom line at their business is affected. Their relationships are constantly healthy and thriving because they are around. He's describing a person who is experiencing a divine kind of prosperity, fruitfulness in every area of their life. And so the author says there's a kind of person on this path called blessed who's not just happy but causes happiness wherever. She goes, not just settled, but brings a sense of settledness to whatever he is a part of. But there's another kind of person on a different path called cursed. And and what their experience is, is instability. And where they ultimately end up is this place of misery. Look at verse 4. He says, not so the wicked they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And so instead of this picture of an immovable tree, uh, the picture on this path is the picture of unstable chaff, like fine pieces of useless Hey and so any time the wind sneezes they are scattered any time the seasons change they wither this person is moody and always shaky and just insecure and restless not rooted in anything, always reaching for the next thing and always regretting the last thing. There's just no sense of settledness, but they have these moments of happiness. In fact, if you're observing them, they look like they're having somewhat of a good time, but when they go to sleep at night, it's just restlessness and, and heaviness and, and instability and the changing with every season describes them as incredibly unstable. I wonder if he was writing in our generation if he wouldn't have used the word glitter. Uh, Because it's sparkly and it's kind of cool, but ultimately not Mariah Carey's best work. Um, All right, some of you will get that, some of you won't. Don't worry about it. But the point is, it's really shiny and it's fun to play with, but at the end of the day, you want it wiped off your face and vacuumed off your floors. And what this author is describing is this person on this path called cursed. It blows back and forth, very unstable. And in the end, God's wind of judgment will blow and wipe them out into ultimate misery. It's a sobering picture. But here's the point. He's saying there is a path called blessed happiness, prosperity. There is a path called cursed, instability, and misery. And please hear me. What he wants the listeners to know is you are either on one path or the other. You are either heading in one direction or the other. Not both. You're not straddling. You're not two-timing. You're not halfway between the two. You're not navigating or negotiating. He's saying, no, no, no. You are either on one path or the other, and someone is an invitation to get on the path called blessed and head into these places called happiness and prosperity. There's no in-between. Jesus says something chilling in this regard, and he says, actually, the majority of people... Will choose the path called cursed that brings misery. The minority of people will choose the path called blessed. Look at the way he says it in verse 13 of Matthew 7. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, four. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and prosperity and happiness and only a few will choose it. Only a few will find it. And listen to me. If you're sitting in this room this morning, our plea and our prayer is that all of us together would vie for this narrow gate On this smaller path. And so here's the question. And this is what this psalm does for us. And the question is, well, how do I know which path I'm on? How can I tell if I'm heading in the right direction? How do I I know? And the song gives us some indicators that we can check to get a sense of where we are. Which person am I? Which path am I on? Which place am I heading to? And uh, he gives two negatives and he gives two positives. And the two negatives are really ways you know if you are on this dangerous path. And then the two positives are ways you can make sure... That you are on the path that leads towards prosperity and happiness. Um, Psalm 1 verse 1. Let's look at that again. And um, he says here, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Um, If you want to know which path you're on, the psalmist says, well, check your people. Check your people. If you want to know which path you're on, which place you're headed to, check the people around you. Because as go your people, so goes your soul. Check the people that you are connected to. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15.33. I was telling the first service, I don't know about my kids and tattoos. But if I ever let them get a tattoo, this could be it. Just say, 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be misled. Do not be dumb. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. The Proverbs say it this way in chapter 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Alternatively, a companion of fools suffers harm. As you go, as your people go, so goes your soul. So check your people. Um, I was uh, flying from California a a couple of weeks ago, and... um, Okay, truth be told, I barely made it onto my flight. Barely made it. I feel like I could have heard the door slam behind me. Um, Just just barely onto my 6 a.m. flight. And so I run onto the plane, and I'm sweaty, and I'm just disheveled, you know, um, at that hour of the morning. And uh, I get to sit next to this lady who's lucky enough um, to have that that funky aroma uh, next to her. But I sit down in the chair and I strap in. Okay, do you strap in? No. I strapped in um, <laughs> to, it's, it's, oh, it's first class. No, but I strapped in to this, uh, to the chair and uh, the, you know, the flight attendant gets on the PA and starts making the announcements. And one of the f- first things she says is, you know, welcome to American Airlines flight such and such um, heading to Dallas. And she said something interesting. She said, last chance for anyone if you realize you're on the wrong flight. Last chance to disembark. And I know what you're thinking. Ah, you are on the wrong flight. Do I look like somebody who would get on the wrong flight? Don't answer that. But here's the point. Here's the point. Can you imagine for a moment if I listened to what she said strapped in and thought to myself, well, actually, I want to go to Hawaii, but I'm going to just stick out the flight to Dallas and hope it works out. You would call me crazy. In fact, you would say disembark, disembark, do this woman next to you a favor, disembark. And that's the language that the psalmist is using. You cannot possibly hope to end up at a place of God's blessing and God's happiness and strap in with and next to people who are flying towards misery away from the things that matter to God. And yet we're constantly doing this. No, I'll try it just this time. I think maybe good company, you know, will corrupt bad character. So I'm going to give it a shot and hope it works out. And the psalmist is saying, if you want to know which path you're on, if you want to know which trajectory you're on, if you want to know which flight pattern is yours, check the people you are strapped in alongside. Because they will tell you where you're going, what direction you're going in. Because if you're connected to people, then you're going where they're going. And so he says, check your people. And he warns against three kinds of people in this. And he uses the words wicked, sinner, and mocker. And, um, and all of these are describing a person who doesn't care what God has to say. But here's what's fascinating. Uh, The wicked person is a person who doesn't care what God says, but kind of keeps it under wraps. So it actually takes a while to get to know them to realize that while they're not doing anything overtly criminal, they have no desire or intention to do what God wants. So your kids know. That's why they look at you at church like, um, that's not the same I saw. it. I know you. And you really don't have any desire to follow what God wants. And then he uses a word for sinners. Again, a person who doesn't care what God wants, but this person doesn't mind if you know. It's a repeat offender. It's a person who actually has a reputation. They don't care if you know what they do. Uh, They're going to do it Anyway, and then lastly, he uses this word mocker, person who doesn't care what God says and flaunts it. In fact, the mocker is called that because they actually make fun of and poke at people who want to do what is pleasing to God. Girl, you're still a virgin. You're 18. We got to get that fixed. You used to be so fun. Remember, you were the life of the party on the weekend. Now, church, everything, church at church, church, you need to come back out with us. This is ridiculous. In fact, the Bible is a dumb book because da-da-da-da-da-da. These are people who are actually trying to recruit you away from journeying towards... Blessing. Here's what's interesting. My mom warned me about mockers. She warned me about those bad, crazy, bad influence kids at school. Stay away from them. What the psalmist is saying is, listen, check your people. And it doesn't matter whether the person has no interest in what's pleasing to God and keep it under wraps, or whether they are mocking and scoffing. If you strap in with any of them, they are going to the same place. Oh, no, 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 no. But she's a nice kid, though. No, you don't understand. He's a, it's, not like he, it's not like he does drugs or anything, mom. He's not the worst kind of person. And what the author is saying is, no, check your people, because for many of us, we'll say stuff like that. Okay, listen, Um, he's really chivalrous, and he's really nice. Well, sometimes the most chivalrous guy at work is still heading in the wrong direction. Well, no, you don't understand. Like, I want to marry her, but she's like agnostic unsaved. She's not like atheist unsaved. I would never do something like that. So it's barely, it's just kind of under wraps. It's not the big overt thing. So that's different. The reality is they're still going to the same in the same direction. No, okay, yeah, okay, okay, honey, yes. I okay, I go to those clubs with the boys, but I never take dollar bills. <gasps> Come here. I knew you were such a good man. Right? No, it's barely, though. It's barely. And what the author is saying is, check your people. And the question is not how explicitly or overtly they live or rebel. The the question is, are they moving in a direction that is heading towards God? Or are they moving in a direction that's heading away? And if you find that the people you primarily surround yourself with are heading in a direction opposite to the direction of God, he says you have reason to be concerned about where you yourself are. And that's a tough one for us. And Everything in Me wants to make a thousand disclaimers. I'll make maybe a few if we have time. But at this moment, let's sit in this. Check your people, who you are hitched to. Again, your people will reveal your path. Um, The second thing he says is, check your pattern. Check your pattern. Um, And he he pulls back the veil on a very sneaky and subtle process that often traps many of us on the path to misery. Look again at verse 1. He says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. And if you, you read that, you can see this pattern, this intensifying pattern that he uses. Walking, uh, and then standing, and then he talks about sitting, which is kind of odd to us. Because when we think about a graduating intensity, we think about sitting moving to standing. I mean, I sit And if the game gets more intense, then I'll stand. And if things start to get out of control, then I'll pace. Then I'll walk. That's the graduating intensity. If I'm having a real weight chill day at home, a lazy day, I'll sit around a lot. And then if my conscience starts to bother me, all right, I'll get up and I'll stretch. And if I get carried away, I'll take a few steps and walk, you know, to the fridge. Uh, Similar with exercise, like I sit around a lot. And so if I start to feel bad about my health and, you know, my fitness, then, you know, I need to stand a little bit. And if you get carried away, then you walk, you move. That's a sequence if you want some, you know, caloric output. But what's interesting in in the ancient Near Eastern concept um, is the graduating intensity worked the opposite way. And so to actually understand it, you would think less about exercising and you'd actually think more about shopping. Um, So, uh, you know, if I'm walking through the mall... And I'm looking around, you know, just browsing. Um, the truth is, <clears throat> my uh, bank account alert level is green. It's, it's on green. Let's not, let's not be alarmed. Everything is fine. He's just walking around, looking, just browsing, just peering in. Now, if at some point in the mall you see me stop, in front of a store, stand. Now the alert level goes to orange. Mmm. He's thinking about it now because now I'm starting to ask some questions. I'm starting to look at some things. It's graduating in intensity. And listen to me. If you then see me through a window sitting on one of those benches in footlock, it's red, 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 red. Cash is about to be spent. There is this graduating level of intensity, and and that's what the author is saying. Check your pattern, because nobody wakes up bitter. No one lands in jail. No one falls into addiction. It starts with fascination. Huh. So that's, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. It starts with just surfing the channels you know, it starts with just browsing, you know, the trending headlines on Facebook. Just looking. I'm just walking. Alert level green. Alert level green. And then it moves from this fascination of just browsing, to investigation. Now I stop at something. It's got my attention. I'm starting to ask questions like, tell me how high will I get? And can I work tomorrow? And will they fire me if if they find out? And uh, now tell me again who will know and who won't know. And okay, tell me a little bit more. Now alert level is at orange. Uh, I'm investigating. And then finally, it's resignation. I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this. I sit in, I settle in. This becomes something I readily embrace. That's the sequence the author is picturing for us. And you notice what he says. He says, don't even do the walking. If there is an area or a place or a group of people you know are heading in this direction and God is inviting you in this direction, he's saying, don't even walk around there. No, (laughs) come on, man. I can walk. I'm strong. I know what's up. Let alone to, to stand because you eventually settle in. You eventually sit. And so what it's saying is, is, is check, your, check your pattern. What people are most fascinating to you? What things are, are most intriguing to you? What things do you investigate and spend a lot of time looking into? What would I find you sitting in if you had no obligations on that particular day? Uh, what's, what's, your, what's your pattern? reveal? Who's on your Instagram feed? I mean, whose lives are you most fascinated by? Oh, I'm just fascinated. Oh, it's not a thing. I'm just curious to see where they're going, what they are doing, what they love. Well, oh, okay, just keep walking. I'm just walking here. What Facebook trending headlines are you stopping to investigate and click on? I and. Mean, Well, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Good story. It's a good story, you know. Yeah, those, yeah, the top five pictures of, yeah, those good stories, though. Okay. What books are you immersed in? What music is saturating your mind? Apparently, it does matter what you're into. What shows are you sitting with week after week after week after week? And I'm telling you, we as a church have almost made it uncool not to be sacred and secular. Like, come on, let's, I mean, let's be chill and cool and and really relevant. And the psalmist would step in and say, yeah, but the things you walk in and sit in reveal the place where you are. You can't walk and sit somewhere where you're not. And this was chilling for me as I read it and thought honestly about my own life and my own choices and my own compromises. And the author is saying, well, check your pattern because wherever you're walking reveals the path that you are on. So you're hanging with people constantly and in places continually that do not push you towards God and blessing. You can use whatever excuses you want to talk about sacred and secular being relevant, but the fact is you you can't walk in places that are not about God and end up in the places that are. And logic would tell us that. You're going to end up in Dallas. So it says, check your pattern. But then um, the author tells us um, what things mark the person who is on the path to prosperity. And he gives us two indicators, two positive indicators. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 1. Um, he says, but th- this person on the path called blessed delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. Um, and I think a couple of things that emerge from this is, hey, check, check your passion. Check your passion. The, the song says that you know you're on the path to this place called blessed um, if your delight is in the law of the Lord. I, I, I'm, I, I, this is so stirring to me. Because I know, and it's concerning to me more and more, if you spend a lot of time with me, will you hear me talking about athletic events or about roses or about the Final Four? Or will you hear me talking about what I'm most passionate about? And if it's true that we do, we spend time with and we talk about what we're most passionate about, I have to ask the question, am I most passionate about the words of God? God himself, and I think in the church we've all kind of lowered the bar and said, it's okay. You don't have to be way into it. You can just be there periodically. And he's saying, no, an evidence that you're on the path is that you delight in what God has to say more than you delight in what anybody else has to say. And we can think of it a thousand different ways, but that's what he means. And in a noise of busyness where we wake up to our phones and we check our feeds and and then we go to sleep to our phones, we've lost the room for delight. It has so many competitors. The idea of reading the Bible, let alone delighting in it more than we delight in other sources of instant gratification and quick entertainment it's, it's dying more and more. And the psalmist is saying, if you delight in the word of God, you will prosper. That will be evidence to you. I love what God has to say. I look forward to entering into this place and spending time with him in his words. If that's true about you, you have every reason to believe I'm on the path called blessed. Somebody come and sit under the shade because the fruit just keeps growing and the leaves stay green and I'm steady in whatever. But if the word is not a delight to me, if it's not a passion of mine, then I've reason to believe I may be headed in a different direction. So how's your passion for the word of God on scale of one to ten? I mean, 1 being nope, 10 being fire. I love it. I can't get enough of it. Okay, how's your passion for a bachelor's sighting here in town? On a scale of 1 to 10. I mean, be honest. Okay, good, good. So you guys are all on the path of, no. I mean, but it is. I mean, there are things that we just obsess over how's your passion for Instagram? I mean, how often do you check in with it? How often do you... Your your feed or the food of His Word, which do you choose more? Which do you gravitate to more? And that is a revealer of where we are. This has been stirring again for me because I've way too often mistaken my profession for my passion. I spend a lot of time with the Word of God, because it's my job. And yet, when I don't have to, do I find myself returning to it? And I've found myself saying, oh, I don't have to study as much this week, so let me go and do things which are more enjoyable to me. And that's been so indicting. Having to ask myself, do I want the Word of God or do I work the Word of God? And it's not the same thing. So I'm having to take some breaths and to beg the Spirit to do something in me. If connecting with friends, real friends, or social media friends, or feeds here and there is what is your obsession, but you can't remember the last time you sat in this place, that is cause for concern. I know it's not a popular thing to say, but it's cause for concern. Why? Because it reveals what you're most passionate about, and what you're most passionate about reveals the path you're on. check your passion. But passion doesn't just happen. Let me make this quick observation and then we'll head out. And I think he says in this verse, check your practice. And I love this. This gives me so much hope. But those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night. And what I love about this is it tells me that passion takes practice. You don't just wake up bitter, nor do you just wake up passionate about the word of God. It takes practice. It takes walking and standing and sitting and walking and standing and sitting. It actually takes practice and it takes time. He uses the word meditate day and night, which is the idea of do it continually. The idea of meditating is the idea of kind of muttering sounds that are unintelligible. And people would do this. It's like walking around just... Just humming words to yourself that no one can understand. My kids are getting really good at this when they are not happy about something. But in the Hebrew culture, it was used as a memorization device. And so you'd see somebody walking around just humming no 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 and if you saw them do that they were meditating they were trying to sear whatever they were speaking onto the wall of their soul so they would repeat it they would ruminate over it over and over again in these murmuring sounds and you know how to meditate if 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 you finally you know get the phone number from that girl that you're crushing on and she gives you her, her secret coded like instagram handle and you don't have anything to write on in the immediate vicinity. You're going to meditate. I will see you from across the room talking about 555. Because you don't want to forget. Somebody may interrupt you and you take a quick break from it. To be like, yeah, what's up? Five, 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 Day and night. That's what he needs. Oh no. Be interrupted. Do other things. But you come back to this place where you're. Yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for God's so will love. You come back and you're ruminating and you're meditating over it. And the point is, as I practice that, I find myself more passionate about the words of God, but it takes practice. No one accidentally falls passionately in love with the Word of God. And so you can understand the war that way in when so many things are vying for my meditation. It would take an act of war on our part to carve out time, to clear out space, to make sure that we are meditating, that we are practicing these words so they're seared into our very souls. One of the flaws, I think, of technology is that it's so distracting, but it's also very helpful. And you know this, if you don't want to miss a game, you will set an alert. You hit some recording, you know, uh, thing that will will set it to go at whatever time the event is on. You may even get people to surround you and remind you, hey, text me so I don't forget that this thing is on. Because I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. And I wonder if what the psalmist would not say to us is if you want to end up on this path called blessed, in this place called passion for the presence and the word of God, then hey, use technology. My phone would tell me every morning, remember to read The gospels. Read the gospels. You can set up alerts. You can even lock arms and strap in with people who will remind you, hey, are you reading? Are you practicing? Are you moving from one further towards 10 in passion for the word of God? And what the author is saying is if you are passionate for the word of God, which happens because you're practicing it, you will find yourself in this place of absolute delight in him and a place of happiness and prosperity but it starts in small steps, in small places. Um, For some of us, we do. We need to make some shifts and hard shifts Um, that won't be easy, which is why we need people around us, because it won't happen accidentally. And for some of us, we do get in connection with SOS or our student ministries and and wrestle through the question about, so how much can I hang out with people and how much can I not? Uh, Otherwise, we become people like, no, we segregate from anyone who doesn't love the Lord. That's not the point. We are called to love the people in this world. Here's the problem. It's too many of us use that as an excuse to walk with people and say, well, we're loving them. Here's the thing. If I love you, if I really love you, I am going to interrupt you if you are heading in that direction. But what we say is, no, we just lock on and we just keep walking, just being accepting. Well, there's a cliff though. There is misery. If you really love the people that you call your friends, then won't you interrupt them? And I'm not saying leave them and go away. I'm saying, invite them. Say, hey, I'm path of life. Please come with me. Hey, Path of life, please come with me. It's not a calling to dissociate with the world around us. But for some of us, we need different friends. Yeah, I'm the designated driver. And you're just a party voyeur who's using that as an excuse to hang out at the scene. Without feeling bad about it. And that, some of that needs to shift. Some of you are evangelating. Stop it. Stop it. They don't call me Tinder warrior for nothing. Stop it. You can't lock arms and head in a direction with somebody who is not, that's not loving them, and that's not honoring God either. And I do, I wonder if the Lord just wants to invite us to choose the narrow path and to head in His direction. So Lord, I pray that your Spirit would do whatever He needs to do to dislodge us from the things that are keeping us, back. Help us to truly, seriously, honestly evaluate where we are. And um, we need your Spirit for that. We can't do it without Him. And so, Lord, may we be a people who are passionate about You and passionate about Your Word and wage war against anything that threatens that, that continues to rob us and continues to derail us and place us on a path that will ultimately blow over. So do a miraculous work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.